Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is Are These Drunks Vaccinated? <laughs> I'm Brandy and I'm vaccinated. <laughs> Emma and I'm vaccinated. Yeah, girl. And I'm Mariana and I'm fully vaccinated. (laughs) This is your booklet with a twist and we are your happy hour girlfriends. And since we are vaccinated, we will soon be meeting up for physical happy hour in person. Yes. Cannot wait. Oh, me too. This month, we're reading an intensely compelling, intoxicatingly dark novel, Mm. The Push, by Ashley Audrain. Ladies, Mm -hmm. I mean, this week's chapters. Seriously. Okay, just let me stop there. (laughs) Last week, (laughs) I finally came clean with our listeners and officially announced my pregnancy, and she is growing. We also realized how connected we are emotionally and physically to our mothers and our grandmothers before we are even conceived. We opened up about our greatest fears if and when we become moms, how we're sick and tired of all of life's shoulds. Seriously. Yeah. And the role (laughs) that our in-laws played in our unions. We didn't skip a beat. Via Emma... Even though I wouldn't indulge in Ricardo's, or I won't indulge in Ricardo's irresistible creations. You better not. What are we trying today? Hmm? All right. Well, today we get to indulge in another Ricardo original. Mm. Our bartender is really riding this violet train and has created a cocktail that is, yet again, purple. I'm about it. (laughs) Today's cocktail is called... The Purple Devil. Oh. (laughs) Not saying Violet is the devil, but she's no angel. Mm. (laughs) I also think this name is appropriate since she is strong. The Mm. drink, not Violet. (laughs) 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 Let me clarify. For a not strong beverage option, Mariana, why don't you tell the listeners what delicious mocktail you'll be sipping alongside with us? I will be toasting and enjoying the Grape Pineapple Mint Fizz. Mm. Yum. So head over, right? Head over to Are These Books Drunk for the full recipe. Sounds delicious. Let's bring that bartender in here to share the recipe for our purple devil. Come on down, Ricardo. Woo! Ricardo! Ricardo! Ciao, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Hi. Hi! Are you ready for something evil tonight? I know Brandy yes. is. <laughs> so the cocktail of the day is called Purple Devil. Oh. And it's pretty appropriate. <laughs> it's a very strong cocktail. Yeah. Because the only part that is not alcoholic is half of an ounce of lemon juice. <laughs> Yikes. So maybe one is enough even for you, Brandy. I don't know. Maybe. I only made one. Okay, perfect. I was perfect. careful. So for the recipe today, we need half of an ounce of blue curacao, an ounce of Campari, uh, half of an ounce of fresh squeezed lemon juice, 
quarter of an ounce of Maraschino cherry liqueur, half of an ounce of creme de violette, and an ounce and a half of tequila. Ugh, sounds so good. Sorry, Mariana. Ricardo, are you doing this on purpose? <laughs> I thought about you when I choose tequila, but I was like, ah, she, she's going to have time to try it. <laughs> Just give me about eight more Someday. months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we put all the, the ingredients in the shaker and we strain up into a coupe. It's a pretty short drink. It's around three ounces and something. Mm -hmm. So a coupe could be could be fine. Uh, I choose this cocktail because, like, I created this cocktail because it has oh. everything. Like, you have the blue curacao and the campari. That on paper it's a terrible combination, mm. but a <laughs> it gives the color color purple, uh -huh. and b they are both uh, orangey. So you have the citrus, you have one that is sweet and the other one that is bitter. Mm. Uh, so the sweetener agent in this cocktail is the blue curacao and maybe a little bit the creme de violette. It's sweet, but in a, with a, with a yeah, different in a profile. Different yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's all booze. All booze yeah. for the bitter, all booze for the <laughs> yeah, sweet. <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit of lemon juice just to pretend that we are not. <laughs> <laughs> that we're not just drinking all of right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this But, is the perfect cocktail for our protagonist, Blythe. I feel like she needs to drink this yeah. in order to put up with her evil daughter. <laughs> yes, she does. Very true. This is the cocktail for her. <laughs> so, alla vostra salute, ragazze. I hope you enjoy your purple devil. Uh, Grazie, Ricardo. Ciao. Bye. Bye. All right, women. Cheers. Salud. Oh. Your faces right now, both of you. <laughs> Too strong for me. Hello. Mariana, I think you're going to like this drink when you eventually oh. get to taste it. But how's Just your drink? Just a few months. Though I wonder yeah. if my taste buds are going to change. Like all oh. of a sudden I'll be not wanting the, the really strong cocktails anymore. I don't know. I don't know. We'll I see. think it's in your blood. Yeah, you I don't so? know. How is yeah. your grape pineapple This is fizz? delicious. And it's, it's perfect good. for the weather. It's so refreshing. And I love the little mint accent. It's really lovely. Ooh, I love it. It sounds refreshing. Mm -hmm. It's like we're drinking together. Aww. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Cheers. Salud. All right. Well, I want to keep talking about cocktails, but I'm also just dying to talk about yeah, this. Yeah, no, I'm ready. I'm ready. So, uh, holy shit. Mm -hmm. This week, Fox's mother gets a first-hand view of what Blythe is dealing with when Violet throws a tantrum and violently bites Blythe's cheek. Violet's teacher calls for a meeting with the parents and informs Fox and Blythe that there have been incidents at school that have made the other students uncomfortable with little four-year-old Violet. Fox refuses to believe that it's anything more than a kid being a kid, but Blythe feels otherwise. Soon after, Blythe finds a tuft of hair in Violet's pocket. Violet claims that a little boy at school cut off all his own hair. And then, Blythe is almost certain that she witnesses Violet pull a calculated maneuver to trip a little boy who then falls to his death. She convinces herself she didn't really see it, knowing that she won't be believed anyway. 
Despite the fact that Fox doesn't seem to want another baby, Blythe is determined to try, determined that Violet is not her fault, determined that the next baby will be better. And she gives birth to the apple of her eye, little baby Sam. In the final moments of this section, Violet calculates a move that propels Sam's stroller into oncoming traffic while Blythe's hands are occupied, and he dies. She tries to tell Fox what happened. Surprise, surprise. He doesn't believe her. Oh, you're not leaving us there, are you? <laughs> that's that's where we got left by these I damn chapters. We are. Oh my uh, god. That was so hard to read. Right? I mean, it left me gutted. Yeah. yeah. The worst part is that I felt, I don't know if you ladies felt this way, but I could see it coming. There was probably like two yep. chapters prior that I was like, holy shit, is Violet going to kill Sam or somehow like cause him his death? Well, we have to give Brandy some props because uh-huh. she called it last week. She called it. You speculated two things. You speculated that the title of the book, The Push, was maybe not about actually giving labor, but that someone pushed, pushed. someone. Mm-hmm. And you speculated that it was maybe Violet that did the push. And yes, we thought right. that maybe Blythe. This is, I think, far worse. Yeah. But yeah. you were on to something. You were. I honestly... I mean, it's funny that you say, Mariana, that you saw it coming because obviously I saw Sam's death mm-hmm. coming because she she says it like two chapters prior that like the day he died, they went right. to the zoo or something. So she announces it before it happens. But I was so blindsided mm. by how blatantly mm. it was Violet. Because mm. in my head, I was still thinking like, even if she did it, there's going to be some question about it. But Blythe doesn't seem to have any question no. about what happened in this moment. And that she asked the question before, was it the week oh, before, the day before when they God. were about to cross the street? Oh, if the if the car stopped at the red light, I was like, yes. My first glimpse into into this being my concern that that it would be Violet at the hand of her brother's death was that creepy ass moment in the bedroom when he was crying and she was in there at three a.m. in the middle of the like, night and yeah. Blythe knew too enough yeah. to bring her baby into bed with her. Like imagine having that fear that one of your children might do something terrible might to your do other something to the other mm-hmm. one. I'm so glad that you bring up that moment because that moment actually made me question something for the first time this week. And then I felt guilty about having the question, but then I couldn't shake it. It really fully occurred to me for the first time this week that obviously we're only getting Blythe's side of the story. She says that from the very beginning. This is her side. Right. And for the first time, it kind of occurred to me actually in that moment, Emma, that we could be dealing with an unreliable narrator here. Hmm. And it made me wonder if she could be so trauma stricken over what happened that she's rewritten history a little bit. And in that moment, I wondered, was Blythe protecting baby Sam from Violet in the middle of the night? Or was Violet in the room that night because she thinks she's protecting baby Sam from who she sees as the bad guy? Her mom. Nice. Like, I wonder if there's a different mm. twist that this story is mm. going to take or something. Because we're only getting one side. Mm. I love, I love that question, and I'm, I'm there with you. 
I mean, so you think that by Violet pushing the stroller into the street, maybe it didn't even happen that way? Like maybe maybe she accidentally did it, but she's I mean, I believe Violet? that maybe maybe Violet pulled her pulled her hands. You know, there's that moment where she pulls down on her hand and Blythe spills the hot coffee all over herself, which is what makes her let go of the stroller. I totally believe maybe that happened, but did she imagine Violet pushing the Actually stroller into the street? The is she is she a mom who's potentially dealing with such severe postpartum depression mm. that she's inventing these things? She's never felt a connection to Violet. Obviously, she herself doesn't want to feel like the villain. And I wonder if in studying these histories that we're getting of like Cecilia mm-hmm. and Etta, mm-hmm. if we're going to see that they sort of had a similar mindset, too, where in their mind, this child is the villain. Mm. They're not the villain. This child is. I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. But the only thing, again, the thing that makes me question is is that her mother-in-law did see Violet bite Blythe's cheek. Right. That's true. But it's so still it's, through her narration. Yes, but there was a witness to an actual account. But that is an interesting – it's an interesting question to pose that it could be from postpartum that maybe she really is – maybe she is very scary to the daughter. Mm. Right. Well, now I'm also wondering whether or not, because she's going back and forth as to whether or not she witnessed Mm -hmm. Violet tripping Elijah. Right. So did that really happen? Which was also a question I was going to ask both of you, because we don't know for sure. I mean, we're assuming that Violet did trip him. Right. But it could have been just her imagination that that in actuality or it could happened. have just been not contrived because she seems to think that Violet stood there waiting for this kid to trip. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe it was just a complete accident. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. Yeah. I don't want to be yet another person who doesn't believe this woman. It was just for <laughs> right. the first time this week. I was like, ah, oh, damn it's it. Very We're only thought. hearing from her, though. Right. And she's really villainizing Fox. I found myself hating Fox this week. And then I had to remind myself, like, wait, but you're only hearing her side. Of course you're going to hate him if you're hearing about him through her. One thing that leads me to believe that that may or not be true with her relationship with her mother-in-law, which is very Mm -hmm. similar of um, Etta's and Henry's relationship in the way that they want to pretend that everything is fine. Mm. And I think, and a lot of people do do this, that they don't want to put what reality is on the surface because they rather face something without having really, having really, having to deal really with the reality of the situation. And I think that's what they're constantly doing. Mm -hmm. So I can see this as like her facing all these obstacles of people just pretending because they rather just do that because it's too hard to face the truth. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think the more that you have to put on face in public, the harder it gets to actually feel kind behind closed doors. Mm. That is so true. That's interesting. Mm. And that does really resonate with me when it comes to Blythe's mom, which is Cecilia, right? Yeah. Yes. In that moment. Well, we see her sort of throughout. I think you asked the question last week, Mariana, or maybe it was you, Emma, why... Cecilia is different when the husband is home. Oh, but yeah, but both of your answers, I was home. like, oh, right, that's so obvious now. Mm-hmm. 
But that makes total sense with what you're saying now, too. It's like the more she has to pretend in front of the husband, it almost seems like the more cruel she gets when they're alone. Like putting up that facade is too much for her. Probably mm. exhausting. Mm. Well, and the same this week when she goes to the tea at school mm-hmm. and then gets home later that day and the husband wants to see whatever it was that Blythe had made her and she she doesn't want to find it or can't find it or threw it away or whatever it was and throws the towel in his face like I did have that sense of like that that cost her a lot to go to that school for that mm-hmm. tea and pretend to give a shit for that long right like she's empty at the end of the day after doing that yeah it's also interesting in that scenario where she encounters or at least as as us the readers we encounter her having an exchange with Mrs. Ellington which we didn't really talk about oh, her yeah. last week, which I find I found that the relationship that Blythe has with Mrs. Ellington really beautiful. I feel like that mm-hmm. she has found someone who is nurturing, kind of like the motherly figure that she's always wanted. Yeah. And it was fascinating to me to see through Blythe's eyes how those two interacted mm. and how civil they were with one another. And I feel that Blythe would have thought the complete opposite because I think there's a lot of jealousy that comes from Cecilia knowing that she is running to that family because that's where she feels safe and protected. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I agree. But it is interesting that it was Mrs. Ellington who invited her. Right. To this tea. That's the only reason she knew. That she knew. Because Blythe hadn't bothered to let her know. I mean, now that we're talking about Mrs. Ellington, another thing that I wanted to bring up is the moment where Mrs. Ellington just went through a miscarriage. And has this conversation with Blythe of how the baby just didn't make it and that possibly it would have been a baby girl. Yeah. That was a very tough moment to read for me. And it also made me think of how common miscarriages are and Mm -hmm. how rare it is for women to actually talk about them. Yeah. Because I've been reading so much about pregnancy and especially in the first trimester, how careful and cautious you need to be because the probability of miscarrying is so much higher than actually carrying on a healthy pregnancy. It's unbelievable how mm-hmm. common that is. And mm. now that I've brought it up and have been talking to other pregnant women or friends who have been pregnant, you know, it, it, the reality is really, it's it's very sad. Yeah. yeah. And that's it's why it is such a blessing to get pregnant. Sorry. Go ahead, Emma. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. It's... um. I think I'm realizing the older I get how common it actually really is now that I've witnessed friends go through that. Mm. And my mom had one before I was born. So like I always knew, you know, that 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 that's a possibility. But now that I'm the age that I am and I'm I'm actually witnessing people very near and dear to me go through that. Mm. And it's tough because. As someone that hasn't gone through that, it's hard to kind of know how to, like, what to say, like, how to mm, be yes. there for them. Um, and and I'm, I've actually been learning a lot because my, my friends that have unfortunately gone through mm. that have now, now once they t- took the time to heal, you know, now they're able to be a little more vocal on, on like, social media about these are things mm-hmm. that you shouldn't say. These are things that are helpful to say. Out of curiosity, Emma, do you remember any of those things that they've shared with you that they've said, like, please don't say this or like, don't. This is the kind of thing you should not say. Hmm. 
Um, I remember a couple of them. Like one of the things that you shouldn't say is, well, you weren't with your baby for that long. So how could Whoa. you have been that attached? Oh, yikes. I guess I can't people imagine are hearing that. that, right? Okay. Um, you know, well, you can try again and you'll make, you'll make another one and then you'll forget about this one, oh my God. you know, like it's as if there's like a replacement. Hmm. Um, and what I'm learning is you never really, you'll never replace that. Like it's mm. a loss. It's a grievance yeah. and you have to grieve that. And then if you are lucky enough to carry a term, a baby to full term, mm-hmm. Then you have that blessing of a new baby, but it's not like it replaced the one that didn't make it. And I recently watched, I think I've mentioned to you before, one of my favorite musical duos, the Bengsons, that wrote one of my favorite musicals called Mm -hmm. 100 Days. Uh I can share this because they are now sharing it and they wrote a little tiny musical about it. But they recently underwent a second miscarriage and they wrote this this like 20 minute little musical piece called My Joy is Heavy. And the wife, they do have a a little son um, who's about three, I think. And one of the things that she said that I had never thought about before is that the term miscarriage is so terrible because it's not like you miscarried anything. Mm -hmm. And that really made me think about, you know, I think they're so, like, it's already hard enough to lose a baby as it is. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of women then think that it's their fault, like they did yeah. something wrong. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, we're not going to like change the vernacular of what it is. Like it's called a miscarriage. But I think for us to think about not that you miscarried something, it's just a natural, unfortunate part of the process sometimes. Um, yeah. So that was really, that was like eye-opening for me to think about it that way. Yeah. When I was going through... The process of whether or not getting the vaccine because it's so new and because there aren't many, there's not much data behind whether or not pregnant women should do this. One of the things I attended a panel with Columbia doctors and they were all talking about the, the pros and cons of getting vaccinated. And one of the things they said that it didn't really matter as to when the woman during her pregnancy, she got the vaccine, but what they suggested was not to get the vaccine within the first trimester because they never want anyone to think that the reasoning behind if unfortunately someone does go through a miscarriage that it was due to the vaccine because it really you're so emotionally distraught already for the situation that you don't want to blame something that could eventually help you yeah Right, because then you'll carry that with you forever. Forever. Mm. Oh my God, what a what a crazy thing to think about. That would never have occurred to me, but that's such a good point. Yeah, you don't want to have any doubt. No, no, that you might have done something. That you might have been the cause because of the choice that you made. Yeah. I follow a lot of Instagram accounts that are about pregnancy and <laughs> maternity. <laughs> I, I've always had a fascination with pregnancy since I was a child. Mm-hmm. And so I follow a lot of Instagram accounts of pregnant people. And so I also have come across several Instagram accounts um, that focus on the not so fortunate occurrences mm-hmm. in trying to start a family. Mm-hmm. Or have a family. Um, and I've actually found those to be, I don't want to say 
like encouraging because I haven't gone through any of this process. But it is nice to know that there are resources there so that you can know that at least know that you're not alone alone yeah and you can have people that you can reach out to to ask how they got through it and what they did and Mm -hmm. and i just think it's really beautiful to see women be so vulnerable about sharing that because it has got to be one of the most painful things that you can experience and can't even imagine so i think it's uh i guess i'm just i think it's nice to know that there are people that can be that open about it and if you yeah. can't be, obviously, that's fine, too. Like, you shouldn't have to share anything you don't want to share. No, yeah. Um, if it's too hard. But there are resources. And if anyone listening to this needs to connect with people, I can point you in the right direction, mm-hmm. even if I don't know them personally or if I do. Yeah. And I'm sure, Mariana, if there are any pregnant women out there who have questions about getting vaccinated, you're probably yeah. a great Absolutely. for anybody. Absolutely. Especially yeah. because I now will be a part of their clinical trials at Columbia. Right. Because right. I'm sure a lot of women are having that, yeah. that question right yeah. now and that and worry. And it's such a huge worry because what do you do? What do you yeah. do without yeah. having sufficient – there's not sufficient research out there to give you, you know – Comfort. That you're Explicit doing the right data. Thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you have good doctors, and yes, I feel they would very, never very have lucky. Let you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And no. you're feeling fine. Great, after having had your first dose. Yeah, perfectly fine. I I had no symptoms whatsoever. I felt a little tired, but I was already feeling fatigued anyway. So, so. Andrew's having worse symptoms yes. than you, the pregnant lady. Are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, poor thing. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. Well, it's been three months, well, four months of him taking care of me, so I can now feeling healthy myself. Yeah. Yeah. I can. (laughs) Okay, ladies, I want to take you down a little journey. Ooh. (laughs) I have a I have a a lot of things to say, and I just need (laughs) you to stay with me, okay? Girl, I think I we have your drink. back. I'm comfortable. We're <laughs> yeah. here. Get your drinks. Oh, did you say we've got your back? Yeah. Oh, what a good throwback. Okay. As I was reading through these chapters this week, but especially in the incident on the playground that we talked about with Violet and Elijah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was reminded of the movie, We Need to Talk About Kevin. Mm. Have you seen it? I've I never haven't. seen it, but I've heard of it. <gasps> Okay. Well, the movie was based on a book by the same name by Lionel Shriver. So for those listeners that haven't seen this movie, and for you, Mariana, if you don't know at all what it's about. I don't. It's the story of a couple who gave birth to a boy named Kevin. But it's important to note that the mom, brilliantly played by Tilda Swinton, Mm. wasn't sure that she really wanted the baby. In fact, she gave up her profession as a travel writer to be a full-time stay-at-home mom. Parallels to Blythe? Hello. Yeah. Yeah. She views Kevin as extremely difficult and detached from her from childhood. However, she notices he comes off as extremely happy and calm when the dad is around. The mom is really vocal about her concerns for their son to her husband, but he dismisses them and makes excuses for him because he's never seen these dark qualities about his son that his wife describes. Oh, my God. The couple eventually has a second kid, a girl who is a delight, Mm. and Kevin is extremely jealous and does not take to her well. Mm. The horrific turn of events is that Kevin ends up committing a mass murder at his high school, reminiscent of the Columbine shooting. 
Oh, my God. These two stories are so similar. Yeah. I was like, did Ashley Autrain use this as inspiration? Like, Mm. I I don't even know how I didn't think about it last week in our discussion. Mm. So all of this brings up two things for me. One is that it makes me wonder what Violet's future has in store for her Mm -hmm. from pulling something like a mass shooting when she's old enough to. It got me thinking that no one ever expects girls or women to be the one capable of doing something like tripping a kid over the edge of a (laughs) playset or pushing her baby brother into oncoming traffic. (laughs) Right. Just hearing you say that. I know. And it's true. I can't think of a single mass shooting that was committed by a woman. But I do find it interesting when women are the guilty ones. Mm. And the other thing was that I I have such a hard time believing that any child is evil. I believe everyone is born good, and unfortunately, along the way, things happen that cause unfortunate events. But I have such empathy for children who are brought up in challenging environments because it's not their fault that they've been exposed to such awful things and they don't know how to deal except for lashing out and behaving badly. Yeah. In this situation, though, Violet wasn't raised in a challenging environment, at least from what we are being told. But maybe she really, truly can feel the lack of love and empathy from her mom and even her grandma. (sighs) But I have to admit that I do feel like there's something really sinister about her. And I'm having a hard time feeling empathetic for her, Mm -hmm. which is weird because she is a young girl. So when I was looking up, we need to talk about Kevin, when my mind was like, whoa, (laughs) I read about some major themes that were brought up based on the book. Mm. Shriver, again, the author of the book, focuses on the relative importance of innate characteristics and personal experiences in determining character and behavior, primarily in regard to Kevin. The book is particularly concerned with the possibility that Eva, who's the mom, Eva's ambivalence toward maternity may have Mm. influenced Kevin's development. Mm -hmm. Shriver also identifies American optimism and quote-unquote high hopes crushed as one of the novel's primary themes Mm. as as represented by Franklin, the narrator's husband, who serves as quote-unquote the novel's self-willed optimist about the possibility of a happy family. This all leads me to a question for you two. (laughs) I heard this expression recently that I really spent some time with. Expectations are premeditated resentments. Right? That really hit me hard. I've been thinking about this notion of expectations in relation to this book and also in relation to that sentence I just read about Shriver's identification with American optimism and crushed high hopes as a primary theme. Do either of you have as huge of an issue with having expectations as I do? Can you think of any moments when your high hopes were crushed and when your optimism for something was crushed? And did you end up having a different outlook on the situation because things didn't go as planned? Did you find a silver lining or did it have a lasting impression on you that has been colored in more darkly? Hmm. Wow. Well, first of all, the similarities between the two stories that you just broke down are fucking nuts. Fucking nuts. You have to go watch the movie now. I want to watch it. I will. Go watch it. I mean, you had me at Tilda Swinton. Rewatch it. I know. Um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm going to answer first because my answer is boring. Um, I mean, I do think that 
I mean, I think that's me. Like high hopes dashed is me. Every time I feel really connected, I'm sure it's all of us. Every time I feel really connected to a role that I auditioned for and then I don't get it, right? Which happens to us all, all the time. The fucking time. Yeah. But I think for me, there has to be a distinction between expectation and hope. Because I think it's hugely important to have hopes for things mm-hmm. and to work towards those things and visualize them. I think if you've lost hope, like you surely have lost your motor that keeps oh, you going. Completely. Good point. Yeah. But I think the difference is that hope leaves room for knowing that you might not get what you hope for. Whereas expectation to me sort of smacks a little bit of entitlement you know like it it sort of smacks of like I expect to get this which to me feels like setting myself up to fail if I ever expected Mm -hmm. to get anything surely life would not hand me that thing Mm. so anyway all of this to say that like (laughs) true yes I have hopes dashed constantly but I think like all three of us I try to remain maybe not a silver linings type of person but definitely like a growth mindset type of person who just sees every obstacle every failure every success every situation as a moment I can learn something from I love that I yeah. think if all you expect is the journey everything else is sprinkles and cherries and hot fudge on mm. a sunday you can't really fall that far it's so it's true. about the journey I love that answer. I know. Brandy, oh. wow. that was not boring Thank at you. all. Have you written a book on <laughs> spirituality? Expectations. Someone give me a book deal. <laughs> yes, please. I mean, I would read that book. I'm in. Thank we'll you. feature it on the podcast. <laughs> and we'll discuss it with the author. Perfect. Uh, oh, Emma. (laughs) Tia Emma, please. Uh, Tia Emma. Tia Emma, if you nasty. Oh, (laughs) yes. And you know you are. Yes. Okay, I think always having high expectations has been a detriment to my emotional well-being because they're always there. So I guess, Yeah. yeah. Though I do consider myself to be a very optimistic person, but my downfall is that I set the bar really high for everything I do and everything that I want to accomplish. Mm. And this includes celebrating milestones or significant stages in my life. Like, who am I kidding? There's this running joke in my family that everyone will finally be off the hook to celebrate my birthday this year since... Most likely than not, this baby girl is going to be born in oh, September. Wow. <laughs> She's going to take some of your time. Yeah. <laughs> like usually my birthday is celebrated a whole month and Andrew really dreads it, but he's still such a, oh my he's, he's still fair game. He still goes for it and does everything that, it, but Aww. he won't this year. <laughs> we'll be celebrating someone else. Yeah. But to be perfectly honest, I didn't know how it, how I would feel to be pregnant or when it would actually happen. Oh. But like every special time in my life, I had the expectations that announcing my pregnancy would be this huge deal. Then when I told Andrew, it would be an epic moment. When I told my parents, my in-laws, the same thing. Not to mention the gender reveal. Yeah. We would have to do something so huge, so monumental and timeless. Mm-hmm. Well... <laughs> Never did I dream that I would get pregnant during a pandemic and pretty much have the most 
intimate celebrations with no in-person interactions. In a way, this initially felt devastating for me. But then I realized that I was forced to accept that all these parties and all these celebrations are all done to show off what you have done. Like you were kind of saying, Brandy, that's all like that. This is what you expect. Like I'm deserving uh-huh. of this. And oh. they're all done for others. Mm-hmm. In my reality, it ended up just being for Andrew and me. Yeah. And now we have videos of all those dear to us reacting in the most genuine way to our news that is actually priceless. That's yeah. beautiful. And as I think of all of this, it reminds me of the same thing happened with my engagement. Because as you ladies know. Oh my gosh, that's right. I tore my ACL n- nearly 24 hours before Andrew was going to propose to me. Yeah. And he had this whole elaborate plan that oh never came to be. Right. And in my dreams, and as a little girl, I was always like, oh my God, my proposal is going to be so like the most epic thing ever. How and that funny. didn't happen. But then again, it happened in the most beautiful way. And Andrew always says that he he did it at the stroke of midnight on the date that he was going to do it, but that he was lucky enough that I wouldn't run away because <laughs> I couldn't at that point. So he knew that it was going to be very unlikely that I would say no. <laughs> but he knelt down next to my bed and gave me the best gift of life by saying or giving me the gift that there was something more to look forward to. What a crazy parallel. Right? No kidding. Thing. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So there's my silver lining. That that really yeah. all these all these moments if you don't celebrate them and it's not a thing that you really cherish yourself, then they they're they're meaningless. Mm. Oh, also a really good answer. I don't really want to talk now. Like, Come there's nothing on, more to Emma. say. Come on, Emma. Alec, we both it. did that so beautifully. Tell us. No, I mean, I I think the reason that that quote, expectations are premeditated resentments, was like a knife in the heart for oh, me. Oh, yeah. Is because I have always had such high expectations for everything. And because of that, I'm usually let down because Mm. my bar is so high (laughs) and I can see how the people that are really close to me are kind of, I think maybe like Andrew, like having to celebrate your birthday for a whole month, there's like an eye roll, like, ugh, like my friends (laughs) expect now, you know what I mean? Like, okay, if there's a holiday, Emma is going to be planning a thing and like, y'all better be there. And like, we are celebrating a theme and if there's a special occasion, <laughs> like there has to be flowers and like the color coordinated, mm. you know, it's just like a whole thing. Mm. Um, and it's been a really interesting challenge, I'll say, being with a partner who hates celebrating. Oh, wow. Any holiday. Mm. And really? Hates. Like, he, we are so opposite in that sense. Like, um, if there's a holiday in which you're expected to get flowers. Okay, so, like, Women's Day. It's huge in Italy. And Mm. men give women a little yellow flower called a mimosa. Oh. Oh. And so I met Ricardo in Italy. It coincided with Women's Day. It's actually our anniversary because it's actually, like, 
kind of. It's like the first day I told him I loved him, which was way too fast. But anyway, I was like, okay, well, Ricardo's obviously going to get me mimosas because he's Italian and we're in Italy and it's Women's Day. The bitch didn't get me mimosas. (laughs) And I was so upset because I was like, how could he not get me like the thing that you're supposed to do? Do you know? And I, I remember saying to my friend, my castmate, I was like, Ricardo didn't get me mimosas. Like, do you think I should? Like, is this a red flag? Like, oh, no. And he was like, no, you dumb bitch. Like, he is such a good guy and he's so good to you in every other facet. Like, who cares if he doesn't get you flowers for holiday? And so it's been this for the couple years that I've been with Ricardo, the few years now, actually, wow. (laughs) It's been, we have conversations every anniversary, every birthday, every Valentine's Day, where I say to him, I know you're not going to get me flowers, but I still want to do something. Like, I still (laughs) want to honor it. And he's like, why? And so he doesn't want to do anything that is connected to having to do something. And so that's been a really good Interesting challenge for me mm-hmm. is being okay with that uh-huh. because I said to him, but if you know it's important to me, why wouldn't you do it? And he said, well, then you're asking me to give up what I believe in. So like I should do it because it's important to you, but you know I don't care. And I was like, wow, that's valid. That's valid. But it has made all the other times that he's gotten me flowers or not even flowers. I I don't even really care about flowers, but like just like little touches that say I'm thinking about you, gestures. When he does do those, it makes it so special because then they're unexpected. Yeah. When you and brought your flowers for your first guest I star, was we were say, right there. And with Dr. Pepper. Hey, now. And, and that Dr. was Dr. such a gesture for me because I was like, <laughs> oh, you know, he. So he he gets me still, you know, he but does get he you. gets to do it in a way that feels authentic to him too. Yes, yeah. So that's how I feel about expectations, and I'm really working on it. Um, Should uh, we get back to the book? Yeah, wow. <laughs> I guess is this a book club? I don't know. <laughs> Should we talk about a little bit about Fox and Blythe and their relationship? Yeah, going to that. Yes. Well. As we've discussed that we're getting Blight's narration, and through her narration, we get to witness how dysfunctional or loveless her marriage with Fox does become. There's such a lack of understanding and compassion from his end, Mm. mind you, right? And their lack of communication, I think, ultimately becomes their downfall. Mm. One aspect of their relationship that I have experienced in my own marriage is giving Andrew the silent treatment. Oh, shit. We're getting the dirt. And I'm embarrassed to admit that this is a strategy tactic I've used to get what I need, (laughs) even though I have been told time and time again to not go to sleep when you or your spouse are upset. This way of handling conflict is definitely not something I'm proud of, and I know it has conversely hurt Andrew in the past. Have either of you ladies given your counterparts the silent treatment? And what consequences have resulted? Hmm? Emma's acting very innocent over there. I know. (laughs) Are you just being a good actress? Is that what's going on right now? She's trying to look like an angel instead of like the devil she is. The purple devil. Purple devil. (laughs) Cheers. No, I'm laughing because... I'm recalling a past relationship in which this was implemented. Oh. 
But let's not start there. <laughs> now. <laughs> All right. I, I, I've never given Ricardo the silent treatment, but I have found that what works for me is to put space between us and give myself time to be by myself, to think about why I'm upset or how we can discuss yeah. it together. But until I'm ready to do so, I have to be alone to think because mm-hmm. I can get too heated. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm giving him the silent treatment. I'm just like, don't come near me or talk to me so that I can be in my space. But the story that I'm recalling <laughs> from when I did implement the silent treatment was a terrible New Year's Eve Lots of years ago with the person I was in a relationship with and we just both got way too drunk and he really wanted to take a cab home and I was like, we're never going to get a cab. It's New Year's Eve. Let's just take the subway. And he was trying to fight me on it and he was trying to get a cab and I was like, there's no cabs. So what I used to do in my angry drunken state is I would just walk ahead. I just would just walk. And so that's what I did. I just walked ahead of him. I do that. Do you do that too? Yeah, I did. I, I, For a long time. And I did walked that. and walked, never looking back behind me, just assuming he was following me, you know. Um he called me. I was just so fucking stubborn. I wouldn't pick up my phone. I guess I walked so fast, he lost track of me. And I ended up crying to a homeless man in Bryant Park. Wait, so you had been drinking? You were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were both wasted. Oh, my God. And I walked so fast that I just hightailed. I guess he lost me. I don't really know how, but yeah, he found me crying to a homeless man in Bryant Park. And, um,. That's the last time I think I gave him the silent treatment. I was like, maybe my walking method isn't isn't That's so wonderful. <laughs> oh my god! Yikes! Yeah. Wow, that could have been that could have been. I in know a stories very like that way. scare me. Yeah. yeah. Well, then he found me, and then we took a cab home. So he got his way. <laughs> <laughs> but you made him work for it. Girl. Yeah, you yeah. made him work for he it. He struggled. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. <laughs> oh my god brandy well it's funny emma because similar to you i i i don't think i've ever given jason the silent treatment i can't think of a specific example of anybody i've given the silent treatment to yeah. but when jason and i were very early on like i think we'd probably just moved in together and stuff so still you know kind of getting to know each other living in the same space um similar to you when i'm mad I just need to not see you and I need to not talk to you for like 20 minutes Mm -hmm. long enough to like cool myself down, stop seeing red, start (laughs) seeing reason, (laughs) and then we can work towards this in a logical, Mm -hmm. helpful way. Mm -hmm. But he didn't, I think it probably took like three or four disagreements where I would be like, I need a minute. Like I need a minute and that's it. And I would like kind of walk off. And he would get really angry by that. He'd be like, no, I need to talk about I need wow. to talk about this. So we just had like opposite 
views on what needed to happen in the middle of an argument. He really needed to talk about it. I did not need that at all. Or I was going to say some shit that Mm -hmm. I did not mean to say. Uh, So it did take us like three or four like arguments before I was like, okay, listen to me. I'm not mad at you. This is going to be fine. The whole situation is going to be fine, but not until you give me 20 minutes. (laughs) Right. To calm myself down because right now you I'm pissed. You needed a moment. Yeah, yeah, I just need a minute. Once I have my minute, it's going to be fine. Right. But like you need to give me that. That's so interesting because I've always thought that men or at least the men that I've had relationships with, they usually don't want to talk about it. They're the ones that are like, you know, oh, even funny. if you don't want to talk about it, they're kind of like, I'll let her say the first oh. word. So it's that's interesting about. Yeah, no, Jason. Jason's a talk it out kind of a person. I like, like that. Like right now, like we need to resolve it right now. <laughs> and I'm like, that's cool. In 20 minutes. Wait, do you have a specific silent treatment Andrew story? <laughs> no, I, I don't have a specific one. It's just been a thing throughout the years that I'm working on. Has he ever given you the silent treatment? He has. He's Ooh. he's he likes using reverse psychology sometimes <gasps> and it gets so bad. <laughs> but then does that make you cave and then you're like, okay, wait. Completely. Yeah. Completely. He's oh, learned. He's diabolical. Learned. Yeah, he's learned. I feel like I, I also need my minutes at times. And like once I take it, I'm like, he hasn't come to hug me. Like, why is this not happening yet? So that I'm oh. the one that runs back. And I'm like, I'm sorry, we should just like hash it out. It's just a matter of who's going to cave first, first, basically. We're such babies. <laughs> yeah, we're so such babies. It's a stubborn trait, I think. It is a stubborn trait. I'm very stubborn. Well, I want to ask you guys my question. Let's do it. We're on a question roll. Yeah, we're on a question roll. Dude. One of the things that continues to infuriate me about this section, and I recognize that I am contradicting myself here, but one of the things that continues to infuriate me about this section is that Blythe just flat out is not believed. Mm. And one of the things I think this book seems to be exploring, I guess we'll find out, but I think it's exploring what happens when women aren't believed. Mm -hmm. And now we've seen little baby Sam is gone. I think even Fox's mom gets a firsthand look at what's going on. And she doesn't really do much to talk some sense into her son. And I was like, what the fuck? Does she also think that Fox won't believe her if she like, why doesn't she mention this incident to Fox when she sees the baby bite her mother on the face? It just seemed like a really weird women not being believed Mm -hmm. and Fox sort of being the be all end all for some reason, even though he's not the one who spends all day with this fucking baby yet. Somehow he seems to know the baby better than anybody. Anyway, Mm -hmm. I want to know, have you ladies ever faced this a moment big or small when you just weren't believed that has stuck with you? There are many moments that I can refer to when I was not believed or taken seriously. Yeah. And I can pinpoint these moments to all my different lines of work Oh, while working with the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. In the dance company that I was in, since I was one of the youngest members at the time, my opinions or my perspective was not taken into consideration too frequently. Mm. I would tend to learn choreography the quickest. And no matter what, my memory was often put into question. As a standardized patient, I have worked on cases where I'm specifically hired to evaluate attending doctor's communication skills. 
And these doctors have been practicing for years, mm -hmm. right? I remember working on a case geared to aid family members in the times of crisis. And we were working with peds. There was one doctor that I could sense was not at all thrilled to be part of the simulation exercise. Oh, gosh. And he was also being observed by his colleagues. So I think that also got to him too. I was playing the mom of a sick child and I was working with a male actor playing my husband. During the sim, this doctor did not want to listen to me at all. And this wow. simulation was being recorded. He even raised his hand to basically shut me up at Whoa. one point. Like he was using his wow. behavior. But obviously he, it's not because it's just a simulation. He probably does this because, you know, he's not an actor. Right. He, he was doing things that come instinctually to him. Right. So he didn't give me the time of day. And after we did the simulation, we did the round robin where um, we basically gave constructive feedback. My counterpart went on to basically say the same exact point that I was trying to get across. Mm-hmm. He didn't listen to me at all. Mm. When my counterpart started talking, he he then reacted like, oh, my God, thank you so much for your honest feedback. And uh -huh. we were saying the fucking same thing. Uh -huh. And everybody knew it. I could tell how everybody was reacting. They were all like, this, she just tried to say the same exact thing to you. And you didn't, you completely dismissed her. Completely. Yeah. Mm. So it's just, it's... <sighs> And people do it right in front of your face all the so time. And others see it. Yeah. So, yeah. Cheers to that. Ugh. <laughs> oh. I want to cheers to that. I'll this drink with so you, Mariana, because I see it too. Yes. Thank you. Okay, fine. I'll drink too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you have a lot of that drink, love. So Get it, girl. It's really strong. It is really strong. <laughs> it looks like he made you a double P.S. When I saw yours, I was like, that looks like a pretty big drink. I made it. No, it's because it's in a coupe glass. It's just because you you're made yourself a double. No, no, no. This is the normal oh, portion, but it looks you full because of the glassware. I see. That yeah, yours looks yeah. small because it's in a rocks glass. I'm not being know. believed. <laughs> I have an answer to your question. Mine is right now. That was so perfect. My co-hosts don't believe me. No one ever believes me. <laughs> your co-host has the power to edit this whole thing out of the episode. Is that a threat? No one will ever hear you say this. <laughs> Well, uh, I feel bad because my answers are pretty lame, actually, um, especially because I know that there are so many cases of women not being believed that are yeah. actually really right. serious right. and make Absolutely. my blood boil. And so mm. I almost don't even want to share mine because they are so trivial in comparison. Like if we're talking about women not being believed – those are the important ones. My yeah, and yours too, Mariana. Mine no, are but I totally know where you're coming from. But even the small ones, that still, you clearly have carried this with you. You have a story mm -hmm. right now. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I think even these small things add up. They to, do add up. Well, that's what I was going to say. Mine are so small and trivial, but it's fascinating to me that when I started thinking about this question, these were the only two that came to mind. Mm -hmm. And they both involve... They're both in relation to someone sitting in something. 
<laughs> when I was in fourth grade, I maybe I didn't know what a period was or I guess that's the only thing I can think that I didn't know. Oh. I didn't really understand. I mean, I must have known what it was, but definitely never really thought about it because I didn't have one. And mm. one of my best friends, we were at recess. We were all playing outside and my friend was wearing leggings and I screamed across the playground to her, Sydney, I think you sat in tomato sauce. Because oh I genuinely gosh. thought she sat in tomato sauce. Obviously, that was not the case. And she was mortified. And my teacher oh, was like, no. thought that that was so evil of me. Oh, no. She was oh, like, why would you God. embarrass her like that? My friend was mortified. The other w- girls were like snickering, like that I was like the mean girl. But they I thought you did it on purpose. Yes. But I never would have done that. I just didn't. I was just too naive to be like, oh, it's a period. You know what I mean? I just never witnessed that before, I guess. So that stuck with me. And then. But you were in fourth grade. I could totally see where you. I know. That's before girls typically are getting their periods, too. So I can totally understand you not clocking that that's what that was. Yeah. Yeah, I still feel bad. I wonder if she still thinks about it. (laughs) But then when I was 13 in Hebrew school. At our lunch break, we always had bagels and cream cheese <laughs> for our uh, for our lunch break, and I dropped a dollop of cream cheese on the rabbi's chair. We had a female rabbi then; she was our teacher, and I dropped a dollop of cream cheese on her chair. And I went to the bathroom to get paper towels to clean it up, but when I had <sighs> gone to the bathroom to get the paper towels. She Jeez. had already sat in it, oh, and no. she thought that I had done it on purpose. On purpose. To, like, because she, I think she kind of knew that people didn't really, she wasn't our, she wasn't our favorite. Hmm. She didn't really like kids very much, even pre-adolescence, and uh, so she was really upset, and she actually ended up being fired not that long after because oh, she blew no. up so much. And For I, that incident? I mean, I think that was just the... The last straw. Yeah. Oh, my God. But um, so I always felt really guilty about that because she thought that I did that as like a hee hee, you know, moment. It's weird that you have two incidents like that. Right. I know, right. Right. <laughs> right. What is the world telling you? Something. There's <laughs> a know. message. Look before I you sit down, I guess. But since mine are so trivial, really, the thing that... Uh, what I was just thinking about in your story, Mariana, was I just listened to an Oprah Super Soul conversation podcast mm. with Sharon Stone. Do you know about this? How she was really sick? Yeah. So she had a brain aneurysm. Right. And she had been bleeding in her brain for like three days at this point, And she was on a gurney and she had been unconscious. But then she came to while mm. they were wheeling her to an operating room. And so she asked the attendant, she was like, where am I going? And they said, we're taking you for like exploratory brain surgery. What? And she was like, what does that mean? And they were like... It's exploratory brain surgery. And she was like, I don't want that. And then the doctor was like, we have to go now or we're going to lose the room, lose the operating room. And she was like, no one asked me 
if I wanted this, no one told me what it was. Oh my God. They just made the decision for me that it was okay to operate on my brain for whatever exploratory purposes was. And so she was like, she kept saying to the doctor, I don't want this. I don't want this. They were like, you're not in your right mind. Like, oh calm down. My God. Holy shit. You're bleeding in your brain, blah, blah, blah. Finally, she <sighs> somehow got the energy to stand up on the gurney. And she was like, stop right now. And she turned to her doctor and she said, you're fired. And he was like, you can't do that. And a nurse said, sir, it sounds like she just did. And so this this female nurse oh could have God. saved her life by standing up for her because her doctor would not listen to her by her saying that she didn't want brain surgery. Can you Exploratory imagine? Brain, Exploratory Whatever right. the fuck that means. Right. That blew that my horrifying. mind. But also that is so not scary. that surprising. Terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. So that's not my story, but I thought that was that I thought about Holy that when you were sharing shit. yours. Oh my God. Gross. I don't know if you guys have seen the HBO documentary Alan B. Farrow. No, you mentioned it and I have yet to oh, watch it. Yeah, right. yeah, not yet. Oh, if you haven't watched it, it's definitely worth watching, though it's difficult. But it's a four-part series on HBO, and it is about the allegations, obviously, that Mia Farrow and Dylan Farrow, her daughter, mm. well, actually, I don't I don't even know that it was allegations they brought to Woody Allen. I think it might have been the state that brought allegations against him for what he had done to yeah. Dylan Farrow, his then daughter. But at the end of this documentary, it's staggering. They give some statistics, and I don't have them. You'd ha- You'd have to watch it. But The number of times that women come forward and say that their children are being molested and that they are not believed or that their Mm -hmm. children are being abused Mm -hmm. and that they are not believed. It was something like 80 or 90 percent of the time women are just not believed in this situation. And it's just thought to be ridiculous that a man would do that to his own child. And so in a lot of cases... These fathers, these abusive fathers Mm -hmm. will end up getting custody of these children Mm -hmm. who the mothers were fighting against because they were abusive. And now their children are with these men. It's just such a horrific, sad, scary situation. And it is sickening that in this day and age, that would be where we are. That we're still there. And I feel like it's the same thing, you know, when when women are upset or shall I say dramatic and the man is Mm -hmm. like are you on your period Mm -hmm. like or you're just PMSing Mm -hmm. you know you're being hysterical hysterical there it is there's the Mm -hmm. word Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. like that's not how that works sir don't take my feelings and discredit that don't don't blame my period for that or discredit I mean, discredit my feelings by and saying that it's just something that happens in my body that you don't get and you don't understand. Right. It's not the same thing, but... It's just another way to discredit a woman. Yeah. Because you don't like what she's saying. Something related to this, and going back to the book... <laughs> how dare you? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, Blythe comes to the realization of how important her body is oh. to her family. Yeah. And that because of the two labors she's gone through, and now she looks at herself in the mirror and it's mush, but she says, my body was our motor. The only reason they had kids was because her body basically 
gave life to these two babies yeah. for those nine, nine months and then some because she was feeding, breastfeeding them. And that's the only way they survived. Yeah. So whenever a man says something like that, that you're hysterical or because you're on your period or because you don't know what pain it, whatever it may be, it's like this world would not be a world you, anymore. in fact, right. would not exist. <laughs> exactly. If it wasn't for this hysterical woman, <laughs> quote unquote. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. But it also didn't make me start thinking about um, the whole aspect of the 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 trauma that one's body goes through. Because we mentioned mm-hmm. this before about, you yeah. know, giving birth <laughs> and what, what that do you means. Mean? <laughs> <laughs> but... It's a lot. And now that I'm starting to witness it myself, your body really goes through all these changes and all these things that you're feeling and how I sometimes feel like there's a lack of oxygen or I don't feel that I I have to take deep breaths because I'm a little out of breath. And it's because my baby is taking a percentage of my oxygen Mm. because that's how she's going and evolving and breathing. ribs, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That there's a lot of things that it's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Now that I'm experiencing it firsthand, it's it's amazing, but it is quite scary. Yeah. And it costs something. And it costs something. But how cool that your body can do that. Like I'm just unreal. fascinated by women's bodies, what they are capable of, the strength, the power, the grace. It's amazing. One little thing that I wanted to say that I wish I had said before when I was talking about the possibility that Violet is protecting or thinks she's protecting baby Sam from Blythe Mm. is that I found it really interesting this moment where she's remembering the way Blythe used to sway with her when she was a very little baby and she remembers it from a time when she's so young that Blythe can't believe she could remember it but she Mm. does. And I wondered, could that mean that she also remembers, one of you said this last week, could that, be the, could that mean that she also remembers being left to cry for hours and hours on end? Could that mean that she remembers other episodes of neglect or harm that hmm. Blythe hasn't told us about because hmm. she's an unreliable narrator? Hmm. I'm just peppering that in for potential color for next week depending on what we read (laughs) i just thought that was a crazy little thing for her to for the author to throw in that she Mm. remembers from that young yeah i think those things really do stick with you inside and you may Mm. never even know where that where it comes from because you're too young to remember that but you can feel that yep I mean, I also thought it was crazy that she was letting us know that she overheard Violet say to Fox that she didn't love her and wished that she were dead. Oh, my God. That, to me, was a huge... Twice she says that, that she hates her mom. That she hates her mom. And Fox never says... Yeah, he says, she's your mom. And that's it, pretty much. Mm -hmm. As strongly as you are having a difficult time with that relationship, that still has to be so hard to hear your daughter say that. And to hear your husband respond that (laughs) way. If some kid I had told Jason they hated me and he was just like, she's your mom. like Yeah, be like, fuck you. Somebody might not be waking up tomorrow. Like, (laughs) 
You need to say a little more than that. <laughs> yeah, forget about needing a moment. Speak up yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> you better say something quick or you're in trouble. <laughs> so I have a final question for you ladies. Oh, yeah. Ooh. It's that time. Yeah. When this book is inevitably turned into an HBO limited series. <laughs> right. Yes. I want to know who's your Blythe, who is your Fox, and if you can name one, who is your Violet? Oh. Uh, okay. 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 Get it, Mariana. <laughs> Get in there. <laughs> my, Blythe, my Blythe would be Amy Adams. She does all the HBO series. <laughs> That's a good one. No, but I, I I, think this could work for her. My fox would be Billy Crudup. Oh, oh, oh I love him. Good one. That yeah. is a good one. I don't have a violet. No violet. That's a tough one. <laughs> it's a hard one. one. It's, hard. it's a yeah. tough one. I like both of those picks, though. Me too. My Blythe would be Linda Cardellini. <gasps> I love oh, her so much. Wow. I love her Great so much. Great pick. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> My fox would be Josh Stamberg from The Affair, from WandaVision. Oh, yes. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah, I could totally see that. I could that. see that. Yeah, absolutely. And I also don't have a violet. That's hard yeah. to find a. That is hard. A girl I know. That young. I thought a little bit younger than you two. I skewed a younger on Fox and Blythe than mm -hmm. you two did. I kept thinking of Vanessa Kirby. But then I also thought it might be a really interesting casting choice for it to be a woman of color who isn't believed and is in this incredibly mm -hmm. vulnerable situation. So then I thought maybe Zazie Beetz or Journey Smollett. I thought oh. of both of those women. Zazie Beetz is from Atlanta. For Fox, I thought maybe Robert Pattinson or Jeremy Allen White. Hmm. Oh. Just because I was skewing yeah, younger. Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for Violet, I came up with Isla Johnson, who plays young Beth in The Queen's Gambit. Oh, oh, that is such a good call. She plays the little girl version of Anya Taylor. Yeah, Joy. Joy. Oh, that is good. Or... Marseille Martin, who was the young girl in, did you guys see this very silly movie called Little? No. Mm -mm. It's actually very funny. It's with Issa Rae. Oh. It's, okay. with, it's a very silly oh, I movie know this little with girl. Issa yes. Rae. And yep. this oh, I saw little the trailer girl. for this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like a Freaky Friday story. There's a, It's like a twist on yeah. a Freaky Friday story. Dude, it's actually a pretty cute movie. And this little girl is one of the more talented things I've seen all pandemic. Like, oh. she's ridiculous. And I fully see her being able to pull off Little Violet. Well, so. good on you for having not just one, but two Violets. I know. You should be a casting Pits. director. Oh, excuse me. I would just cast <laughs> cast this in your next. Exactly. Let me play Violet, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. If you have a theory or an insight you'd like us to mention in our next episode, send us a DM or an email at arethesebooksdrunkatgmail.com. Yes. Come on. Our DMs. We want to give an enormous shout out to Gabby, 
and Liv Callahan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both read Mexican Gothic, searched for podcast music in relation to that book, and ultimately found us. Yeah, so cool. Thank you both for tuning in and sharing with us how much love you each have for our pod. We're so grateful. Yeah. Thank y'all. Yes, we love finding out how you all find us. Yes. Let us know who you are. Let us know. Next week, we'll be reading to the end of chapter 66. Oh, my gosh. Make sure you keep up to date with our Instagram page at Are These Books Drunk so you can find out next week's cocktail and mocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. Because it's always happy Wow, some musical today. We had some melodies going. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something like that. Ciao, chicas. Bye. Bye.